Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, veteran crew chief Dickie Venables and pro stock motorcycle phenom Gage Herrera. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. Talking to a grizzled veteran and a young man who's going to make his mark with the Vance and Hines team and pro stock bike. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. For those of you tuning in on video, welcome. For those of you listening on various podcast podcast apps. Welcome to you as well. Got a great show this week as we always try to do. We have Gage Herrera and Dickie Venables coming on. We'll talk to Gage first in a couple of minutes and then we'll reset our sights to the Nitro Funny Car category and catch up with Dickie Venables. Two guys that are in different spots in their careers and lives. That's why it's going to be fun to catch up with each of them. Testing season has finally begun in earnest, and Gage Herrera was one of the riders who was down testing at Gainesville about a week ago, and he did so in really good fashion. We're going to talk to him about his test. Dickie Venables and his team are getting ready to test in a couple of weeks, but the TSR top fuel team was in Gainesville. They also made some performance gains, as I am to understand. I think maybe the biggest star of that test session was Antron Brown, who was reeling off a series of runs in the 60s and very low 70s. So, that Matco Tools Series XM Toyota team is really going to be coming out of the gate swinging, and that is a, to me, a dynamic change uh, when it comes to top fuel drag racing. We know how hard they worked last year to get themselves in a competitive position, but when you take Antron and set him out of the gate as a competitive car, as opposed to the the, the way they built themselves into one last year, that is a different kettle of fish altogether. As I make this show. John Force Racing is heading to testing. Coletta Motorsports is heading to testing. And those will be some of the more fascinating results that we try to keep our ear to the ground with uh, and learn about as this week goes on. One of the things you may not know if you didn't see the post on social media is that it does appear that Doug Coletta will be in a a, a canopy-style, cockpit-style top fuel dragster this year, which is not something the Coletta team has done before. Uh, One can uh, start to surmise reasons why. Obviously, they struggled last year. Maybe they made some chassis changes and decided to go with that canopy-style cockpit for for their own reasons, and obviously those reasons, um, they want to bring them success. And, you know, we talk about Antron Brown coming out swinging, in the event Doug Coletta can come out in that same fashion, it's like, man, it'll be high tension, like right off the bat. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be something special. So, you know, we didn't hear about anybody having any sort of catastrophes at the test session. We heard about the same things that you'd normally hear about people kind of feeling their way out, getting their feet underneath them. Um, there is a new top fuel driver that has been licensed, a young man who basically just turned 18 years old. Uh, he got his license driving Larry Dixon's car and managed to run several 380s in that top fuel dragster, acquitting himself very nicely. This is a guy who has run. Uh, junior dragsters and sportsman cars uh, and and blown. I mean, he's run a blown alcohol front engine car or an altered for a while. So this is a guy who's not uh, uh, not nervous about getting into something that is very fast. And uh, the young man drove very, very well. You're going to be hearing more about that story in the next couple of weeks. And I think out of deference to them, I'll, I'll kind of keep his name out of it a little bit uh, before we start to hear more. But our understanding is they are... Um, 
they are putting together some funding to come out and do what they can do in 23 with the hopes of an expanded schedule in 2024. Uh, Speaking of news that was made this week, Buddy Hall announced that he will have uh, Lance Larson uh, crew chiefing on that car. Uh, Glenn Huzzer will also be working with Lance to crew chief on that car. My understanding is that uh, Buddy Hall is uh, kind of working on an eight race commitment, maybe more if the schedule works out with his uh, Vertex Roofers team, and maybe more if he lines up some more funding. Methanol Moonshine, of course, has come on to support him. Uh, Bobby Bodie and his family are running basically half the season. I think a 10-race poll they've committed to, and maybe that can also be subject to change depending on how success comes their way. will be great to see Bobby with that level of frequency. Uh, the Zizzo team has finished their car. Um, I'm not sure how many races they're going to run, but I would have to guess they will stay uh, reasonably centralized around their Midwest area like they tend to do. But it would be great to see them maybe even dip a toe down and maybe the stampede of speed down in Dallas late in the season. So, you know, these are interesting stories. And and the part-time teams, I believe Doug Foley also came out this week. And Doug Foley said that he is going to have, um, I should say, I should change my tune here. Mike Guger is going to be the crew chief for for the um, the Vertex Roofers team of Buddy Hall. So Guger will be crew chiefing on that team. It will be Doug Foley who is using Glenn Huzzer and using uh, Lance Larson as his crew chiefs. Apologies to, to intertwine those two things. There's been a lot of these news stories coming in throughout the week, and I got them backwards. But once again, to clarify, Mike Guger, Buddy Hall, Glenn Huzzer, and Lance Larson with Doug Foley. Obviously, Aaron Brooks is committed now to the Bob Tasca team. I think there's going to be an official announcement coming about that soon, but uh, he and Todd Okahara will be uh, laying hands on Bob Tasca's engine. Um, I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but at some point in the next uh, several days, I'd have to announce or have to imagine they'll be making an announcement. In the world of pro stock, I uh, can't say a lot is broken as far as news goes over the last uh, week or so. It's been pretty quiet uh, in the pro stock realm. The Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series season started last week and officially in Orlando, Florida with a Division II race and uh, got everything kicked off there. So um, we're officially underway. The NHRA season officially has begun with that uh, kind of firing of the starter's pistol down in Orlando at Orlando Speed World with the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Division II race. Um and again, this is like one of those years where the news comes and kind of ebbs and flows over the course of, a, of an off season, but... Again, testing-wise, Gage Herrera looked very good. Antron Brown looked very good. We understand Leah's car made very solid runs down there. The young man that licensed, um, uh, it is it is moving in the right direction. I guess one last uh, story to tell before we get into the Gage Herrera chat is that Antron Brown dipped his toe once again into the world of small-tire door slammer racing, and it did not carry the same result the first time, meaning he didn't win the race, but he qualified very well. Drove the car very well, but unfortunately for him, did not quite have enough horse to pull off the victory down there at Bradenton Motorsports Park. But it was great. He came back, had a great time. And, you know, Brad Mason and Brian Karate were, I'm not going to say they were way more involved because they were involved the last time, but like Karate was bringing him into the beams and Brad Mason was like behind the car. So you can't tell me, you cannot tell me at some point, uh, Antron may not have one of these toys to play with. And, Again, uh, just you know, going to the going to the well here, my mental well. You know, this is no, there's no plan made, there's no statement made, there's no anything. But I mean, a super bodied, like a factory super bodied style small tire car would be pretty freaking cool to me. I bet the Toyota people would probably like that too, and I bet Antron 
would probably like that whole thing. So I'll keep you posted on any developments there. But again, I don't know anything, but I'm just kind of doing some math. And if the guy likes it and he can dip away and do it a couple times a year and maybe maybe involve a manufacturer he's involved with, eh, you know, it's not the most difficult math to do. So that's kind of where we're at in the world of uh, NHRA drag racing. Again, apologies on the juxtaposition of those crew chiefs, but we've clarified that. And now we're going to move ahead. We're going to move ahead with our lives. And we're going to move into our first interview, which is a conversation with Gage Herrera. When we come back, we'll talk to the young star who has made the big move, not just off his Pro Street, no wheelie bar bike, not just into the world of Pro Stock Motorcycle like he did with Gary and Karen Stouffer last year, but with one of the premier teams. In fact, some would say maybe the premier team in the class, a guy who is going to be sights locked on trying to win a championship and trying somebody to stop Matt Smith. When we come back, it's Gage Herrera. Stay with us. All right, we are back here on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and I am joined by the newest rider of the Vance and Hines stable, a guy who had a great test session for himself in Gainesville, Florida, Gage Herrera. How you doing, man? Good, yourself? I'm doing great, and uh, I don't know if I'm doing as good as you because, uh, you know, having seen some of the numbers that came out of that test session, I feel like you were very comfortable. At least the scoreboard said you were very comfortable on that motorcycle, and I'm not sure it could have gone much better. Uh, I mean, it went really good. You know, I'm getting more and more comfortable every lap, and... Uh definitely uh going in the right direction it is oh it is man and and i feel like uh this is a great story i think you know for you personally i think for people that are unfamiliar with your background i want to talk a little bit about that in that one you come from a very accomplished drag racing family right this was no mistake that you got into the sport your dad augustine has won uh, a bunch of stuff in cars and on motorcycles so you've been in this really since you were a kid but you have the your pro street days and all the no bar uh, the no bar bike stuff you've done has led you to this moment so talk to me about being a kid and having your dad as being a guy who is a genuine just ass kicker on the racetrack i mean basically since the day i was born you know i was at the racetrack with my dad and my uh my grandfather had a 68 Camaro, so my dad originally raced that, and then he got into motorcycles, and uh, yeah, basically, from everywhere, every memory I got is <laughs> at the back strip or dirt bike racing or something, so it's always been on two wheels for me, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, my dad did a lot of bracket racing in the beginning, before the outlaw stuff, and then he started traveling and on the East Coast and doing all that, so every memory I got is on the road going track to track it's great and it's uh to me it's one of those great stories that you know we we have a lot of second generation racers in this sport at a professional level but there are very few third generation professional you know level racers and the fact that this really started with your grandfather and came down all the way to you is great because you know in a lot of sports sometimes if you're a young kid that's in a sport that your your dad or your mom's great at it can be tough because maybe they put way too high expectations on you or you put too high expectations on yourself. But the way it sounds like those two guys are pretty good coaches for you when you were a kid coming up through this stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to say they really pressured me into it. You know, they always wanted me to do some kind of baseball or basketball or something like that, but this is something that never interested me. So I think it was, <laughs> it was less weight on their shoulders, you know, to continue forward with racing, drag racing in the aspect and, uh, yeah, haven't looked back. No, you haven't, and it's a good thing you haven't, because look where it's brought you to today. Um, you know, we talk about the Pro Street motorcycle drag racing, and I think a lot of NHRA fans have some familiarization with it because of really, you know, Joey Gladstone was was one of the guys that that brought a lot of NHRA fans into that world to understand what those style of motorcycles are, and I want you to talk about that as well. And I wonder 
for you when when Gladstone made the jump up into pro stock motorcycle was that not if not inspiring was that something that made you a little bit more even interested in going the pro stock route oh absolutely I mean uh, everyone that drag races I mean motorcycles cars they all look up to everyone in the NHRA class I mean yeah at the end of the day that's where everyone wants to be um, I mean pro street I mean it's it's very cool I mean it's a it's a unique class you know you got basically stock cradle frames, Hayabusa's, just a XR1000, ZX14's that make seven to 800 horsepower on street tires, you know, <laughs> and with, with no wheelie bar. <laughs> so, I mean, just uh, how fast are going these days? I think the, the record right now is 634 at 236, I believe. And um, it's just, it's a, it's a different, different uh, level of crazy, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, and the dynamics of your body on these motorcycles is so important. And and what mechanically for you, like when you first got on a pro stock motorcycle, which obviously is slower than than the pro street bikes, but they ride very differently. So what what body mechanics change between a seven eight hundred horsepower motorcycle on a street tire to a motorcycle that makes maybe about half the power of that, but still runs within a couple of tenths? Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, I mean, on the pro street motorcycles, you gotta you gotta manhandle them around. I mean, you, you're on a, but I mean, it's like a seven inch street tire. Basically, I mean, you drag your feet to a half track because those are kind of your rudders. Because most of the time, the front tire is off the ground. You know, I mean, it, it's a it's a different aspect. Because then you get on a you get on a bar bike and you basically leave with your feet on the pegs and you know you move your body over the littlest amount and it makes a big change. Where on the pro street bikes you're hanging off the side and you know it's uh try and keep them go straight it's um they're they're similar but they're different you know i mean we go close to the same et's mile an hour is a little different but uh yeah i mean one's uh one's a handful and one's you know you got to finesse it Oh, it's absolutely that's absolutely fact. I think it's pretty cool that uh, you know we've watched riders make that transition, and and for you, you know, the season you had last year, I think was your, your progression, I guess, onto this Vance and Hines motorcycle is is pretty cool, and it's made a lot of sense. The motorcycle you were on last year was a good bike. It did not have perhaps the raw power it needed to be as competitive as you would want to be, but for for a season of learning and gathering experience and making runs, I, I'm not sure there was a better motorcycle to be on. No, no, you know, it was definitely the perfect bike to start on, you know, and working with Gary Stouffer and uh, Karen Stouffer, you know, they're uh, they're great mentors, great teachers. Um, you know, they, they teach a lot of people, you know, they got Gianna Salinas started and yes. all that. And, uh, yeah, we started off with a smaller motor. I mean, it, it was, uh, I believe it was a 1655. It ran like 711. And then uh, I had, you know, a few companies and really good friends pitch in, and we ended up getting a uh, competitive two valve the last uh from dallas to pomona yeah so i mean that right there was just a little stepping stone and going faster and getting more comfortable and being out there you know i mean it's a totally different atmosphere out at the nhra compared to xda or the grudge events you know and uh yeah i mean it was just little by little i think the seat time and being in front of the fans and all that you know it was definitely it was definitely different and uh moving in the right direction and get more and more comfortable and, you know, I think what's interesting is I think some people, you know, you look, oh, man, you're riding for Vance and Hines. It's going to be a super high pressure thing and everything else. And, and that's maybe true. But, 
you know, historically in your career, you've always been on good equipment, no matter what level you were at. So I feel like you're uniquely equipped for this particular job or this particular seat because of the fact that you've always been on good stuff. And and the expectation when you're on good stuff is that you produce results, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, when you're on good equipment, I think you put more pressure on yourself than other people or, you know, the assumption of putting pressure on you. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, being on good equipment is, you know, is a good benefit, but overall, I think you put pressure on yourself. Eddie Krawick is a great guy. He is also a New Jersey smartass that has moved himself to Indiana, but I'm sure he's the type of personality you've seen a lot of at the grudge races and 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 some of the pro street stuff, right? I mean, I feel like Eddie would slide right into that culture perfectly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But he's also a great guy to learn from. I mean, this is a champion, yeah, is. A, a champion with a load of experience, and you know he's going to give it to you straight one way or the other. Oh, absolutely. I mean, having him as a mentor and you know teaching me, you know, little things here and there. Same with Andrew. I mean, you know, not necessarily just riding the bike, just being around him. You know, is is very cool. Just talking to him and learning little things I never even would have thought of. You know, as far as you know, things that help on the bike or off the bike. Um, it's a uh, is, but that's basically that's definitely been overwhelming you know working with those guys kind of you know surreal i guess it, you know being able to basically when the first time i walked into vance hines you know it's kind of when it really hit me of what was really going on you know and then talking with them and sitting down with terry vance and everyone you know it's uh Oh, that's got to be, it's got to be a moment, man. When you're sitting at that oh, table yeah. and you're looking across and Terry Vance and you're not there to buy exhaust pipes, right? You're there to, you're there to get, get a deal done and, and get your season laid out. That had to have been in a lot of ways, whether you were hiding it or not, they, there had to have been a huge smile, uh, whether it was an internal smile or external, that had to have been a really, really neat moment. Oh yeah. Big time. You know I mean? I can't really put it into words, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, you know, it was, uh, it's an awesome moment, you know, awesome feeling. So when we talk about the runs uh, and some of the runs you made down there in Gainesville, um, how quickly were you making full pulls? Were you making full pulls right off the bat, or did you make a couple of shutoffs and then make it to the finish line? And again, obviously you ran a bunch of races last year, so none of this is unfamiliar, but kind of what was the strategy when you guys got to testing in Gainesville? Uh, the first two hits, we kind of did half-track passes to make sure everything was good. Yep. Um, and then uh, my my third, my first full hit, I won a 670 flat. Um, it went, everything was smooth. And then the, the last hit, I won a 669. Um, now, you know, we're making a little, what I go, 201, I believe. Um, so, I, basically, I was just getting, you know, comfortable on the bike, um, you know, just trying to get more comfortable seat time, trying to improve myself every lap, you know, trying to get more and more, get smoother on the motorcycle, which is, like I was saying earlier, the biggest deal on these bikes. And timing-wise, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, shift points and how integral it is to be, especially on a pro-stock motorcycle, I think we we don't do a good enough job talking to people about how just literally perfect or accurate you have to be to get the most out of one of these things. And because this bike is quicker than what you were on last year, uh, mentally, was there any adjustment kind of getting your shift points down in those early runs? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I basically had a I almost had to stare at the shift light to a point, you know, yeah. to get acclimated with it and make sure I stay with the bike and, you know, cause that's, that's the most critical thing on these bikes is going straight and hitting the shift point. You can miss it by a couple hundred and that's a couple hundred at the finish line, you know? So, I mean, that's the, that's the most critical thing. It is. And, and the smoothness you mentioned, I want to get into that a little bit. When you talk about being smooth, 
Uh, explain to somebody at home that does not ride a pro stock motorcycle what is involved in that smoothness. Is it, I don't know, is it how you throw the clutch out? Is it how you move your body? Like, what is the what is that smoothness package that you're talking about? Basically, I mean, when you when you leave the line, you don't want to throw the lever and be behind the bike or sitting up. You want to be one with the bike. So, I mean, you got to be with the bike. And, like, if, let's say you're going towards the water or something, you don't want to jerk it one way or the other. You want to just move your body the slightest amount, and it'll make the biggest correction. You, you overcorrect it, and it could be really bad. You could either cross the center line or put yourself in the wall, especially on riding you know, the big 10-inch slick. Yeah, because that thing, uh, as flat as it is, when it kind of picks a direction, it's going that way, right? <laughs> yeah, it's going. <laughs> You know, when we when we talk about, you know, what it's going to be like, what it's going to feel like, have you had that moment where you've kind of thought about what it's going to be like to roll, you know, roll around the end of the staging lanes in Gainesville for qualifying session one? And, you know, that place is mammoth and, and the Gator Nationals are always full all weekend long. Have you considered that kind of moment? Because as big as all the rest of this stuff is, I feel like that's when it really becomes real for you. No, I really haven't really thought about it yet. You know, I don't I don't think I want to make myself nervous yet. Yeah. You know, but uh, it's going to be a big moment for sure. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I mean, uh, obviously, Gainesville is the first race of the year for everyone this year, which is different, and uh, it's going to be good. I'm very excited. It's not a requirement to be a good rider to be very knowledgeable mechanically on these motorcycles, but you are. Um, you know, effectively, you're one of you're one of the guys, at least as best I know, you're one of the guys that could probably build one of these things from end to end if you ever had to. Is that a benefit? I feel like in my mind it would be a benefit, especially when you're having these conversations with Eddie and Andrew about, you know, translating certain things into the performance of the motorcycle. Yeah, I think it's a big benefit because, I mean, you realize or understand how everything works and operates, and, you know, and you, when you're riding the bike, you feel what it's doing. And I think it relays a lot of uh, info that helps, you know, crew chief Andrew and Eddie when they go over data and try to figure out, you know, how to get the best ET. And I think that, I think it helps makes the crew uh, crew chief's life a lot easier. There's going to be some new bodywork uh, on the Hayabusa's this year, uh, kind of an upgrade or an evolution of the bodywork that we saw on them last year. Um, in your impression of riding the of riding the motorcycle, and I, I understand you didn't have a lot of experience with the previous generation of that style of body, but what was your feeling there? My understanding is that was done to help smooth out some of the aero, kind of on the top end. Oh yeah, I mean uh, I've rode the gen. I've, I mainly rode the Gen 2 yeah. during testing, which is my bike, and then I made one pass on the Gen 3, which is Eddie's. And, I mean, there was a big difference. I mean, we had a slight uh, cross tailwind, and the Gen 2 body definitely is more affected by the wind. And okay. The, the Gen 3 body, I mean, it just sailed right through there, no problem. I mean, like, uh, the bike with that body, you can make it more neutral, which in uh, all reality, that's, the, that's what you want. You know, you don't want the bike up in a bind or fighting itself or you don't want to be fighting it so i mean i think that that body is going to make a big difference i mean uh i, I see a lot of people switching over to that because it's you know it's today's production line of motorcycle and yep. it's it's very nice to ride who are you most looking forward to squaring off with on this vance and Hines bike this season who is you gotta everybody's got somebody and it doesn't i'm not trying to set up some sort of a rivalry or anything like that yeah, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to do that i am asking you to go I'm the guy on this bike now, and I'm looking forward most to racing X person this season. Um, I'm kind of, I would say the whole Matt Smith team. I mean, that's yeah. where, that you know, they've been dominating. Yeah. And uh, I like I like setting high goals for myself. You know, I like, uh, I mean, that's kind of like the pro street thing. You know, I've raced Nitro's bike in the turbo world. 
Um, so I, I doing just, it the hard way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I like setting high goals, you know, whether they're realistic or not, but you know, it makes me drive and push harder to make it happen. It's the old, uh, the oldest expression in sports, right? If you're going to be the man, you got to beat the man. And, and clearly, <laughs> and Matt Smith is the guy, uh, you know, I, and there are people that sometimes don't like some of the stuff he says, uh, that's fine, but you cannot argue you know, with that level of result. And the guy is very dedicated to the program. And if there's anybody that understands kind of that mentality, I think it's you and your family. Uh, I think the success that you and your family have had have, has come from that kind of level of dedication. So you can't, you can't look past the guy and it's a great answer because if you're going to, if you're going to prove yourself and establish yourself in this category, that is the one guy that is right now the gold standard to beat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's put in a lot of, a lot of hard work, dedication, and that's where, that's why he's where he's at today. So as I let you go here in a minute or two, a couple of standard questions. What is your favorite racetrack to be at? What track are you most looking forward to be at in 23? I'm looking, I'm looking forward to Charlotte. I've never been there and, uh, I, you know, I've seen pictures. I've heard great things oh, about yeah. it. And, you know, I think, uh, I'm pretty sure we're four wide there. Yes. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You know, that, that's, uh, that's going to be a challenge, something different to get used to. I've never done. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And listen, we got the Mission Foods Too Fast, uh, too too ta- too fast, too tasty program this year, which I think is going to be neat. It's it's new for all of us. It's new for you and me, me, me both. But this idea of being able to effectively, if you make the semifinals of the race before, being able to line up and, and potentially take out somebody that might have beaten you that race. Not only that, but getting that kind of race day opportunity on a Saturday to get yourself in that mindset. I think it's going to be a big deal, and there are championship points involved. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's awesome, you know, that they're doing that because it, it brings more excitement to the fans and the racers. You know, it gets you, gets you more involved than just going out and qualifying. And it's basically like having, like you said, two races in one weekend, and you know, it's uh, it'll it'll create you know a little rivalry I think between racers. Oh yeah, you know, I think it, I think it's good. It's good for the sport. And uh, is your pop going to be popping in and out of the track this year? What's kind of his? What's his mo going to be? I'm not. Is he coming to every race? Is he going to pop into a few? What's his deal? Um, he's gonna come as much as he can. Yeah. He's uh he's a tech director for NMCA NMRA, so whatever races don't clash, you know, he'll be there. Um as much as he can. You know, he wants to go to all of them, but you know <laughs> <laughs> duty calls. <laughs> Ironically you can't go to all the drag races because you have to go to other drag races, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gage man, I'm uh, I speak I think for a lot of us uh in the world of NHRA, it's gonna be an exciting year. I think uh I think your presence uh, on this motorcycle with the Vance and Hines team is gonna be a, a big deal in the class. I think you bring a high level of talent and uh it's gonna be cool, man. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what you and, and Eddie and Andrew and the rest of the fellows can kick up there at Vance and Hines because uh somebody's gonna stop matt smith come on somebody's gonna do it why not why not you yeah no i'm, I'm very excited to see what uh see how the season goes and uh, i think it's gonna be good it's gonna be very good well gage once again thanks for your time and when we come back we'll have our second guest in this episode of the nhra insider dickie venables so our second guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast is none other than the championship-level crew chief of the Dodge SRT Hellcat of the Power Brokers team and Tony Stewart Racing, Mr. Dickie Venables. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Brian. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to catch up with you this offseason, Dickie, is because, you know, we're starting to see teams head out testing. Everybody's got their ducks in a row. And I'm kind of wondering what your guy's status is and how things are looking over there for the funny car side of TSR Racing. Yeah, you know, pretty much uh, normal off-season procedure for us. You know, obviously, uh, 
22 was the first year with with tony stewart and uh you know even though we kind of brought our same crew and equipment uh it was still a learning year for us yeah. getting everything situated and, and whatnot but no we're just uh you know going through truck and trailer and making sure they're maintenance and uh the race car all the parts and pieces you know we've gone through all that and and got our inventory up to where we need to be and uh We've got a new race car chassis to start the season with, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we're scheduled to go test uh, later on this month down in Florida. Fresh pipe, baby. Nothing better than that, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when we when we talk about the fact that, you know, it was the same team that moved into the building, I want to go through that a little bit because, like you said, it is a disruption, right? Even though it is all the same guys working on stuff, there is still that disruption of moving everything. So in terms of your timeline, uh, in terms of maybe preparation, are you – kind of where you are or would be in a normal year and i guess how much did that maybe shuffle things last year did it maybe move your schedule a week or two behind what it normally would have been it was tight last year yeah. you know um certainly we were nothing like the dragster team who had a much <laughs> right. taller mountain to climb as far as getting all the yeah. parts and pieces you know we had all that but you know things aside from from the race car equipment itself you know getting getting in the building yeah. uh you know, getting getting with upper management and office, and you know, learning their routines as far as uh, the business side of things yeah. was. You know, so we've got all that behind us, and uh, you know, with the season starting later, uh, that gives us a little bit of extra time. Yeah. So it's been nice because we we haven't felt rushed. You know, we just we kind of been just steady and and making good progress and taking our time with everything. You are retaining your entire crew, which is obviously a big deal. Um, and I know sometimes even when you retain the entire crew, sometimes you maybe shuffle job assignments or, or change things around a little bit internally. Anything happening on the team in terms of different responsibilities to different guys, or is everybody staying in their same job with the same checklist? Uh, every Everyone our t- on, on the Funny Car team has their same role. Uh, when we started last year, um, we had moved a couple of guys around and had a different guy doing the clutch. But that that was that way all through 22 season yeah. and you know there's no changes now so everybody's like i said it's got their same role and we're just you know uh really f- feeling good and and uh feel like our team we've had some time to get everything just go over everything make everything smooth and uh, you know organized from the role of, of a crew chief, what are the things that when you go back and review a season like 2022, which by any measure was a successful year, I mean, you guys are in in the thick of one of the great uh, kind of funny car points battles of all time, and, and it was so fun to watch. When you go back over the year and you look at maybe the performance curve of the car over the course of a season or maybe areas where you feel like you can pick up, what are some of the things you analyze, if you will, in the off season uh, away from the mechanical stuff in the car? What are the things you look at data wise? Well, what I'm looking at, uh, talking about last year, we, we had a good car. It would run quick and fast, and, and we were in the hunt. But we still weren't in a good position when it came down to going through the countdown, yeah. you know. And what I mean by that, uh, we would make some good runs. Um, we were on a, won a race here and there. But I felt like the consistency wasn't what it needed to be to, to win enough rounds in the championship to finish higher or, or, or win the championship. So every year I look back and think about what we can do better as a team. And, you know, oddly enough, it kind of pointed in my direction. You know, I need to do a better job on the setup and making the calls in the car. And it's it's there. It's just a matter of making the right calls because when we hit it right, 
it runs well. Yeah. So no, it flies. <laughs> that, that's that's what I'm looking at. You know, just being more consistent um, because the competition is. We say it every year, but it's going to be. It's going to be a barn burner this coming year. It is. I mean, it'll be as good or, or better. And, and kind of along those lines, I think when we enter a season and, and we generalize, we use this generalized term of testing. Everybody's going to go test. They're going to go to the preseason test. But if we can take that to the next level, what is the difference between entering a season with a car like you had last year, which you know can run, versus a season where maybe you're coming into a new environment or you're changing a bunch of stuff? So I guess when you go to a test for 2023 – what are the things you're going to try to pick at or tweak on as opposed to other years where you maybe had to make some gains that you knew you had to make to be more competitive? Right. Uh, the, the first things that we're going to be looking at as far as testing uh, coming up is we've made a couple changes. Uh, one is in the chassis. Uh, the design of it's slightly different, but we don't feel that it'll be a drastic change. And we made a couple of small engine changes. So that'll be the first thing that we address, um, you know, test and, and qualify the things that we've changed and, and make sure they're good or not and make a decision from there whether to stay with it or not. And then moving forward from there, um, it's just a matter of, you know, we'll make a lot of half-track runs, you know. Okay. Um, we've got a little bit different spoiler that we're going to have on the back of the car. So, it, you know, in those three changes that I mentioned from the chassis to the engine to the arrow on the spoiler are not huge changes. So I'm not looking for that to upset anything. So the remainder of testing will just be making runs, you know, uh, try some things that we felt like we needed to do on race day or in qualifying when we really couldn't because we were either, you know, in the countdown yeah. trying to qualify and race. So you eliminate testing, you eliminate that pressure of trying to get in show and trying to go around so you're more apt to try things uh let's say things kind of off the wall that you always wondered about you know what i mean yeah you could be a little bit more adventurous right because you know that there's not uh, a robert height waiting in the next lane for you <laughs> <laughs> that's that makes a big difference when you don't have that bear on your back 100 percent you know, we, we look at Tony Stewart racing and, and a successful first uh, season for him, uh, you know, coming into the sport of NHRA. And, and one of the things I think I took away as a as a fan or somebody from outside the team looking in was what appears to be a really great team dynamic. I mean, I look at how, you know, the Christmas party at, at Tony's house, I look at how, you know, the team dinners and, and I think the team has done a really good job of, of kind of showing that stuff off via social media over the course of the year. Talk a little bit about that team dynamic, because to me, it seems it seems almost next level as opposed to what, what we may have seen in the past from other teams. And I'm not taking a shot at anybody, but it, it seems as though this is a different type of, of environment that is, uh, that is new almost to, to, to nitro racing. It is, you know, uh, and it's a welcome uh, thing for, for all of us working here. Um, you know, and, and I always tell people the difference is Tony's a racer, you know, he, yeah. um, he understands it, you know, um, like if I tell him what I think went wrong on a specific qualifying run or eliminations, you know, I feel obligated to explain to any team owner why we didn't win, you know, and, and the difference in Tony is he's like, well, you know, if you would have thought that was the wrong move or the wrong setup, you wouldn't have done it. Get him next time type of deal. And he just, you know, the, he has fun with all the guys, you know, they'll have a towel snapping contest at the end of the day, and, which I don't participate in, but that looks very painful, but, 
they will literally at the end of the day they have this competition where they snap each other with these white towels and you know he's just a good uh he's a good role model for a for a team player and, and owner to be around you know yeah and the point you made is very interesting about you know talking to him and and going over like you said to any team owner and and i guess that you know the mark of a of a good crew chief or a good leader you know looking back over your career anybody else's is that ability to to learn from those moments and it's not to you don't necessarily point blame on something i mean you find what the problem was but it's it's more of an idea of move of moving forward from learning that stuff as opposed to getting hung up on it or or trying to make something the scapegoat or somebody the scapegoat yeah, that's 100% true, you know. Um, running one of these cars is, cars is obviously very difficult, and, and unfortunately, it's not an exact science, you know. We have a lot of things that, that tell us, you know, what did what as far as the data recorder and things on the car, you know, but a lot of it is um, the records that you keep over the years, you know. I yeah. mean, I've got, I've got stuff. I look back as far as 2013. Oh, wow, okay. Spreadsheets that goes from, from there. And you'd, you'd be surprised how much you look back at data because a lot of it is looking at what you've done in the past under certain conditions. And honestly, the, re- the rest of it, as far as making the calls, uh, let's say once you leave the trailer, whether it be going up for a qualifying run or an eliminations run, it's just, it's a gut instinct, you know, of what what you think it needs. You know, you, you've got your track guy out there and then he's on the radio telling what, you, what the track is. And all that's good information, but it comes down to that. What's your gut telling you? You know. Yeah, that's uh, and th- and that again comes from making a gazillion and a half runs, and and kind of like you said, you got to have the stuff quantified to be able to go back and look at. So that's really neat, man. Going back all the way, almost ten years is that's pretty shocking. I didn't realize there would be applicable data from at least that far back. Speaking of well, that, there's, oh, you know, there's some of it as far as track stuff you can yeah. look at. You know, there's a lot of it that doesn't really pertain to what you're doing currently but you know you have a spreadsheet and and it goes back that far so that kind of gives you an idea of, of how important keeping data is well yeah and especially this year i mean we look at that chicago race we've not raced there in years and we're going back so that will be uh, at least to get the initial setup of the car right that'll be fully based on uh, historical data uh, exactly right you know we'll, we'll look at when we ran there last and then we'll you know look at at track conditions you know from a more current uh place we've run as far as temperature and grip and whatnot but um yeah looking back will certainly play a role in somewhere we haven't been in a few years and listen that place is that place historically has been pretty fast if the weather cooperates and the fact we're going to be there in may uh is a lot more exciting to me than if we're going there in the dead of summer because that place can be an oven uh when you get there in the middle of the summer so you know if if the weather cooperates chicago should be a really fast racetrack uh kind of in that what second third weekend in may you're absolutely right and it's uh you know i uh, it's probably no secret i I like racetracks like that oh yeah i like to be able to (laughs) i like to be able to swing for the fence and you know but you also have to race too but uh it's certainly one of the tracks that like like you said if the weather conditions are there um it'll be really fast so one of the things i don't know about you and i want to ask you about this is what are the things what is what's the hobby away from the racetrack for you because you know there are guys that like to pull the fishing pole out there are guys that that are in bowling leagues there are guys that go trap shooting for dickie venables when it's either the off season or there's five minutes to catch your breath during the season what is the relaxation hobby for you brian i've you know i don't veer far from what i do during the day <laughs> um i've got a i've got a 1500 square foot shop out 
out behind my house and I've got, you know, some machinery mills and lathes and whatnot. And, and I, I enjoy going out there and basically tinkering quote in my shop, you know, whether it be, you know, building a, a smoker barbecue pit or building, you know, just, I enjoy fab work, welding, uh, machining. So that's kind of my, away from what I do day to day, I still end up being in the shop because that's what I enjoy. Oh, that's cool. No, that's a that's yeah. a neat thing. It's a it's a good way, and I'm sure it's a it's a nice relaxing. It's you know it's like Zen when you get to work at your own pace, kind of do your own thing. That's 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 true relaxation, right? It is, and when you get tired of it, you know, you, you just <laughs> walk a couple hundred feet towards the house, you know, and you can kick back on the couch and watch TV. So that's a big plus. No, it's uh, it is good, and I'm, I'm, it's always interesting to me about about what different people like to do to, to get that because everybody needs it. You know, when we get into the thick of a season where you know we look at some of these months and and it gets real busy. July, you know, we basically go three in a row, of course, with the Western Swings and back to backs, of course, through the countdown. So you know, having that escape right. is uh, a necessary a necessary thing. Uh, when we look at the Gator Nationals this year, um, you know, expectation wise, a lot of people are talking about you know maybe there there are some performance marks out there that could be had. You know, everybody's talking about maybe somebody being able to go 340 in terms of the conditions and this and that. Do you think, in your own opinion, we will see a 340-mile-an-hour run this year, if not from a funny car or a top-field dragster? What's your take on that? I would say it's possible, yeah. um, you know, based on, on what cars ran last year, yeah. you know. Um, for that to happen, you know, a lot of things have to go correctly, and I think you got to have a little bit of luck. But you got to have good conditions, weather, racetrack, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, you've got to have really good traction in order to, to, to do that. So um, it's it's going to be tough, but is it uh, is it attainable? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is, too. And whether it's uh, whether it's the beginning of the season or the tail end of it, I, I do feel like that. Uh, I feel like that mark may be caught. It'll be a be a big moment for whoever's able to to pull it off. And I guess the last question I have for you is, you know, when you kind of survey the the funny car outlook for 23, we, we did talk about the fact that, you know, the field's not going to get any more spread out. But, you know, we saw, you know, we really saw Cruz Pedregon come on strong, especially at the very last race of the season as almost like a wild card. We know there's been some shifts, you know, as far as the Tasca team with some new crew chiefs and some new hands on that race car. Uh, when you look out there, are, are they still all the same kind of primary threats in terms of who you think you're going to be contending with at the end? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're obviously you're going to have Ron Caps, you're, you're going to have Robert Hyde, of course, um, and and Cruz Pendergon. You know, his performance uh, there towards the end of the year was was phenomenal. Uh, you know, Tim Wilkerson with with some more backing. You yeah, know, that's somebody that's that's going to be right there in the thick of it. So um, you're going to have uh, just more good running cars and, and more competition at the top of the pack. I believe. Yeah, I believe you're 100% right, and uh, unfortunately for you, that means a level of high stress. For me, it means fun stories to tell on television, but for you guys, you, <laughs> you're the one who's going to be chugging on the Maalox, uh trying to make sure you, you stick with them. But, man, uh, congratulations on the success last year in that. You know, really, it was a transition year to a degree, and you guys still came out swinging, winning the Gator Nationals and putting some other wins up on the board and, and being part of that chase. And it's going to be fun to watch the whole year, man. The new car looks good with the, the green and black paint scheme on there. It's going to be uh, good looking and, and good running hot rod. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Uh, the new paint schemes are pretty awesome, and uh, you know we're we're looking forward to uh, the competition next year. That's what drives me and, and my team. You know, it's it's the com- competitive part of it, and uh, 
be careful what you wish for, right? Because it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Dickie Venables, thanks for take, thanks for taking some time today, and I'll let you go back to uh, getting your data analysis done and getting your race cars and trucks ready for the season. Thanks, man. Very good, Brian, and uh, thank you for having me on as always. And so that's going to do it for this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. A great chat with two guys that are in very different places in their drag racing lives and careers with Dickie Venables, decades of experience, multiple championships, and certainly a guy who plans on coming out and, as he said, swinging for the fences again in 2023. And Gage Herrera is in a great moment of inflection in his pro-stock motorcycle career. After a good start in 2022, he is on some of the top-level equipment that exists in the sport of drag racing today, and we'll find out what use he can make of it with Vance and Hines. If you can do what he did in the test session, both at the finish line and at the starting line, Gage Herrera will be a force to be reckoned with in the world of pro-stock motorcycle drag racing. Next week, we'll get you updated on everything that's going on in the sport. There's multiple teams out testing right now, including John Force Racing and Coletta Motorsports. We'll keep you up tabs on that. And next week's show is going to be a bit of a John Force Racing Power Hour. We're going to have David Grubnick on to talk about the season that was and the season to come. We're going to have Robert Height on to talk about his new sponsorships on the side of his Chevrolet Camaro out of John Force Racing, as well the test session as well as the vengeance he'll attack 2023 with as always thanks for listening to the nhra insider podcast i'm brian loans and thanks for hanging out we'll be back next week